1: Blue Iron.
2: New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy.
1: Garoppolo, quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown, four.
3: Yeah, you heard it there. It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. That's Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today sports media group. We had a little bit of technical issues on our Monday night pod that we're going to do during the season. So we're recording this Tuesday night. We're going to do the podcast a little bit differently. We're going to format it a little bit differently. Um, We've got some news to react to, and then we'll do big-picture takeaways from the game uh, before kind of turning the page and moving on to Week 2. The news off top, if uh, you have not heard Debo Samuel had a setback with the Jones fracture in his foot, which is why he went on IR. Kyle Shanahan said they're still expecting him back Week 4 against the Eagles. He also said that Brandon Ayuk should return for Week 2 against the Jets. He said that he would be surprised if Ayuk would not return. And then George Kittle, his status for Sunday is unknown with a knee sprain. They're going to see how he does throughout the week of practice. But the bigger news on Tuesday was that Mohamed Sanu's agent reported that he agreed to a one-year deal with the 49ers, and they needed some help badly at wide receiver, and Sanu, I think, should provide it.
2: Yeah, I think it was really a, a smart... Uh, signing for the 49ers he was available it doesn't cost him anything in terms of draft capital um, so yeah I, I think it's it makes a ton of sense and with Richie James Jr. potentially going on the shelf now uh, for the foreseeable future with a hamstring injury he'll it sounds like he'll be out at least this week um, and it could be longer so the, the way Kyle Shanahan talked about Richie James on Monday would indicate to me they're preparing potentially for a multi-week absence and so with an open spot on the roster, um, or at least in the depth chart, adding somebody like Sanu is is a pretty sizable upgrade over the other options a team might have on the practice squad. They have three practice squad uh, wide receivers at the moment, River Craycraft, Kevin White, the former um, first round pick of the, of the Chicago Bears, of course, and then um, Jawan Jennings, the recent seventh round pick. Um, I just think Sanu's better than all those guys, regardless of what happened Amazing. in new England. So given what we've seen from, from the 49ers receiving core in, in just one game without Samuel and without Ayuk, um, it makes all the sense in the world to me to bring in Sanu because of his familiarity with the 49ers, uh, with the 49ers offense, essentially after playing for Kyle Shanahan in 2016. And, um. Yeah, no qualms with it. If if there's any frustration in my voice, I just want everybody to know that we've been trying to record this pod for two days and have had all sorts of uh, of technical issues, so I'm knocking on wood. I'm crossing uh, crossing my fingers, hoping that we could record this without a hitch because, uh, you know, like 49ers fans are frustrated with their team. You and I have been really frustrated with the fact that we haven't been able to get this podcast out despite trying So bear with us. We're going to try to keep it positive and keep it light. But, um, yeah, appreciate everybody bearing with us.
3: Watch quarters two through four of the 49ers offense on Sunday, and that's basically how this podcast recording has gone.
2: Right. Through no fault of our own. I don't think it's, (laughs) it's our fault. I think it's technology. It's 2020. It's juju. It's something.
3: Well, I'm not going to blame Juju Smith-Schuster. A couple touchdowns <laughs> on Monday night is good for him. So, uh, real quick, the, the thing I want to get to is Mohamed Tanu has to pass three COVID tests before he can join the team. So, I think the earliest he would be on the practice field is Friday, which, I mean, theoretically means he could play Sunday. I don't know how, how large of a role he, w- he would have, but I, I imagine that we will see him on the field Sunday. What are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, you know, I I really don't know. Um, Josina Anderson reported that he was flying out to the Bay Area on Tuesday, so I I'm not sure exactly how much Sanu knows of the offense if he can, um, if he's in shape. It's been a few weeks since he's played actual football or at least practice football um, after getting released by the Pats earlier in in early September. So. Um, you know, I would assume he has a really good familiarity with the offense. I would guess as soon as he signs a deal, he'll get some version of the playbook on an iPad or something. Right. And um, and he'll get refresher courses and, and probably be in on the position meetings via Zoom or something like that. I don't know that for a fact. We'll find out from Kyle Shanahan tomorrow when he addresses the media. But, um, yeah, if if he's up on Sunday, it would be it would be obviously a nice development for the 49ers. And, and just long-term, I think, if your top three guys are, um, in some order, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Mohamed Sanu, I think that could be a pretty good receiving core, potentially. If, um, And then you still have guys like Trent Taylor and Kendrick Bourne who uh, still have value, but maybe not as much value if they have to be your top two guys. Well, and right
3: I, I think even, just to your point, even if it's Bourne as the third receiver and Sanu as your four... I, I think even that is is an upgrade over what they have
2: yeah i think that's totally fair it's it's really a um i don't see any downside <laughs> put it that know. way that's I, I that's <laughs> that's the way things are looking for the for the receiving core right now it's that it's so bad without samuel and IU can now potentially richie james who wasn't really contributing a whole lot on offense but still like you you need bodies, and to get somebody off the scrap heap who has been productive in the offense, um, to me, is a, is a nice get this early in the season.
3: So I need to get my daily, not daily, podcast. I need to get my, my required plug in here that I I produce a radio show in the Bay Area at 95.7 The Game. And today... <laughs> Which one? Uh, Bonte, Steiny and Guru, the midday show, 10-2. to 2. Pacific Time, radio.com app if you're not in the Bay Area, 957 the game, FM if you are. Anyways, um I I don't want to say I was flabbergasted because like it's it's just so obvious. But Mike Francesa, WFAN, yeah, <laughs> uh reported that Odell Beckham Jr. is on the trading block. The Browns are actively looking to trade Odell Beckham Jr. And then um, I believe his name is Brad Briggs, Brad Biggs, of the Chicago Tribune reported that Alan Robinson had inquired about uh, the Bears trading him. So it didn't sound like a full-blown trade request, but it was in that vein, which led to a lot of content on our airwaves today about should the 49ers trade for a wide receiver. And I just wanted to get that out there. Now because no. (laughs) Like it it just I I wrote a whole piece about it at Ninerswire.com. You can check it out. It's just it's the same conversation we had about Jamal Adams, but with Odell Beckham Jr.'s name and Allen Robinson's name plugged
2: in. Here's what so I'm generally with you. Um, but like we had this conversation, I think, before the Emmanuel Sanders trade last year, and I think we were in sort of a similar spot in that. We both thought that the 49ers probably didn't need to make that trade. Um, And then they ended up making the trade and it turned out to be hugely beneficial, right? Like getting Emmanuel Sanders was really important for the 49ers in their run to the Super Bowl, even though he wasn't like a huge guy to have in the playoffs. He helped them win um, a lot of games and just elevated the receiving core. I don't know that necessarily Allen Robinson or Odell Beckham Jr. will do that. Not to say that Odell Beckham Jr. obviously isn't a great player. um, But like we talked about this in in the group chat today. There's a lot of risk in Odell Beckham Jr. right now. Like you don't know if you're getting somebody who is teetering uh, right now. Like his career could be teetering. And you don't want to bring him in and then have things go completely sideways because that could torpedo an entire season, right? Um, even at a relatively modest contract for a number one receiver, $15 million yeah. a year, uh, it doesn't sound modest, but DeAndre Hopkins is getting $27 year. Million a year. Um, and Amari Cooper is getting $20 million a year. So at $15 million a year for, I believe, the next four seasons, three seasons, um, this season, maybe three more, I have to go back and look, but um, the value is is kind of there, I think, unless he tries to push for a new contract, which is something he might do um, with the Browns or his next team or whatever. But I am not as out on the idea of trading for one of those dudes as I normally would be. Normally, I'm against making big trades like this. And but the reason why is you're not gonna Odell Beckham Jr. isn't gonna cost like multiple first round picks right like the browns gave up to get him at this point yeah um and i don't think allen robinson would either so if you're looking at a scenario where you know like the trent williams trade one of the reasons why the trent williams trade was so so good for the 49ers is because it cost him a third and a fifth right um and so you know if if the value is there um then i think it makes sense to to make a move like that because we saw how we, we know how important a good receiving core is um if your window's wide open to win the Super Bowl, which which you and I still think it is for the 49ers, despite yep. um the world ending on Sunday. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm not completely out on the idea, but I do want to see and this is tricky too, but I do want to see Ayuk and Samuel on the field at once together. Right. Um, before making any determination like that. The problem is Samuel's only gonna have you know, maybe what three games before the trade deadline now? That's if he comes back up October fourth, which he mm-hmm. can't guarantee that he's not going to have another setback because Jones fractures can be really tricky. Um, and Trent Taylor just had setback after setback after setback last year in trying to recover from a Jones fracture and didn't play the whole season. Um, so I'm not I'm not saying that that I think that is going to happen with Samuel, but it's it's in within the realm of possibility. So. Um, a lot of that is to say, I'm not completely out on the idea of Odell Beckham Jr. Um, or Allen Robinson, but I think it's I think it's unlikely. I think it's more unlikely than it was last year when the Forty ers got Sanders.
3: I do too. Let's uh, let's hit a quick break and get to our big picture takeaways from uh, from Sunday when the world ended. <laughs> Hey, this football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. That's me. I get up on Sunday, I bang out some yoga, get a healthy breakfast, and then I hang out, I grab a Pepsi, and I'm smashing Pepsi while I am watching football all day Sunday. <laughs> It is among my favorite things. These passionate fans are the real, that's you, that's me, that's Chris. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. That's right. I am fueled by Pepsi because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching.
2: Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever and indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast unlike other sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring you only pay for what you need you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts plus indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire with 73% of online job seekers visiting indeed each month indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses right now indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com bluewire blue wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th.
3: All right, let's talk about what happened Sunday. Yes, let's do that. It wasn't good, and I don't want it to come across like either of us thought it was good. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, the season is not over. It's going to be okay. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo does not need to be replaced by Nick Mullins. Uh, heard it twice in the last two days on the radio. By the way, um, <laughs> it's all right. Like the, <laughs> there's there's 15 more games, and just because the Niners didn't start eight 0 doesn't mean this season is a total failure. Well, I just wanted to get that off my chest.
2: Yeah, so the game does count it does Um but week ones are notoriously weird. Very. And uh I I think and I'm not here to be a 49ers apologist or make excuses for them but like mm. how weird is week 1? Ask Jim Tom Sula or ask Chip Kelly because you remember in 2015 when the 49ers hosted uh the Minnesota Vikings uh on the second Monday night game they thumped the the Vikings and all of the talk about Jim Tomsula being over his skis felt like, hey, maybe the 49ers actually have something. maybe the 49ers could potentially be good and find some of the spark that was you know apparent early in the Jim Harbaugh era and be a playoff caliber football team. Well, the 49ers went five and 11. Uh, and ended up not being very good. The same happened the next season with Jim Thompson's replacement, Chip Kelly, when the Niners thumped the Rams. And then uh, a lot of people thought that, that Chip Kelly's 49ers might look something like uh, Chip Kelly's Eagles when they went 10-6 and, and and went to the playoffs early in his tenure there. So You know, things happen in week one that are atypical to the rest of the season. That said, I still think there are things the 49ers should be concerned about. But on the other hand, too, I think the Cardinals could be a legitimate problem. Um, And I know I just pointed to, you know, teams playing really well week one who ended up being bad uh, in those two 49ers teams. But I think Arizona with Kyler Murray um, could be a legitimate problem. And we'll talk about them. Um, later on because this is this is a podcast about the 49ers but um yeah let's get to it let's get let's talk about our concern level about specific aspects of of what happened on Sunday
3: yeah I think I think there's three kind of things that that really stuck out to me it's the defense it's the receiving core and and then it's and then it's the quarterback play so let's start on the defensive side of the ball where concern level one to ten one being not at all concerned ten being fire everybody um I'm at like a two, maybe a two and a half. Okay. Because when you go back and you and you zoom out from the way that game ended where the Niners were on the field for 82 total snaps and you just watch the first 50 minutes of that game, the Niners had given up 10 points and they forced the Cardinals to kick a bunch of long field goals and Arizona's only touchdown came off a blocked punt. Um, I, I thought that they did a, a pretty good job for the most part uh, up until the, the last two possessions where Arizona um, went down and scored. And I, I attribute that a little bit to uh, the defense just kind of being gassed because they were on the field for so long. So my concern about the 49ers defense is is relatively low. Now, if they go out and get lit up by the Jets, then we can talk. But... Uh, like you said I think the Cardinals are going to put up a ton of points this year and at some point I think we're going to look back and and see that the Niners holding them to 10 through the first uh 50 minutes of the game was was pretty impressive
2: yeah and I think you have to factor in the uniqueness of this off season, the fact that there was no offseason program the fact there was only 14 training camp practices um there was no preseason which I think doesn't necessarily factor in for the defense as much as some of the guys on offense who are coming back after not playing last year. Um, the preseason would have been really valuable for guys like Jarek McKinnon, Trent Taylor, um, Trent Williams to a certain extent. Jordan Reed, of course, only got 10 snaps. These are guys the 49ers are still kind of working back into the mix, and they could have really used the preseason as, as much as I like to rail against how useless the preseason is for the majority of players, and Richard Sherman basically said as much after the game too, Um, you know, he called preseason the the most useless thing in sports, which, um, just tickled me, but, (laughs) uh, but I do think like Trent Taylor could have used some preseason, like playing a couple quarters in the preseason for him would have been, would have been really nice and same for McKinnon and reading all those guys. So, um, I say that because the 49ers defense being on the field for 82 snaps is more than they had at any, in any game last year. Yeah. Um, the air quality was obviously bad. Nick Bosa said that uh, the air quality by the fourth quarter was impacting him, and, and I'm sure to a man um, other guys would agree with him. Um, so I just think it was kind of a, a confluence of a lot of factors that went against the 49ers, and then they didn't help themselves by, um, by playing poorly, really. I mean, they had coverage breakdowns. Um, the, the most notable one was DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't do well containing Murray at all. Um, I thought Robert Sala was a little bit too blitz happy and, and the 49ers were out of their lanes when they did blitz, allowing Murray to, to scramble and make a bunch of those plays. Um, and some of them were just Murray being Murray. Uh, and I think we're going to have to get used to his ability to scramble is something that makes him extremely difficult to defend. Um, yep. And, you know, like so my concern level yours is what, a two? Two
3: two, 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 two and a half.
2: <clears throat> Mine's more like a four or five. Um, mostly because it was very clear to Forrest Buckner, his absence is going to be an issue. And, um, it's not because Javon Kinlaw, um, can't beat to Forrest Buckner. Like we already know that. Um, that's not even worth mentioning at, at this point, though. Kinlaw did show flashes and had a better game than I think I was expecting him to have, but it was the other guys. It was Solomon Thomas essentially being a zero. Um, you know, DJ Jones had a sack. Uh, I thought Cantavia Street was going to be in the mix based on his training camp, but he was inactive. C- Kevin Givens um, got some time, and and uh, he had a nice a, a nice tackle on Murray. I guess it was a tackle. He kind of just dragged him down by, by the shirt, but it looked like Murray had a chance to get some yardage on that play. But, no, I think you make a really good point in pointing out the Cardinals only had 10 points going into the fourth quarter, and the touchdown that they scored was a result of the block punt. And then, ultimately, like from a more big-picture perspective on what happened with the game, you take away the block punt and then the touchdown that came on the very next snap. Um, and if the 49ers end up scoring on fourth and one instead of getting stuffed, uh, then that's essentially a 14-point swing right there. And I think the 49ers probably win the game by double digits. Right. And we're not talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and the receiving core in the way we're just about to. Um, it still
3: be- was not good.
2: It wasn't good, but it wasn't good in Tampa Bay last year either. And we'll—I mean—we'll move on to that. But like, you know, I—I I think, um, I just think a lot of times we judge things based off the results that otherwise wouldn't get judged if the results were different.
3: Yeah.
2: So, like, if the Niners had won the game and the receiving core was bad and Garoppolo didn't play well, that kind of would be glossed over. I think yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Right, but so. the only reason we're we're really ringing the alarm bells is because they lost and I think you can make a case that they lost because it was a whole team thing. It was offense, defense, special teams and that's a cliche. Um it's it's one of the worst football clichés, but it's also true. Like you need three phases to play well and the 49ers did not play well in any phase and they ended up losing by 4 points and they still had a chance to win, which is you know, I guess a silver lining in, in of itself, but <laughs> they played um,
3: really bad and still could have won. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, the receiving core, what's your concern level? Uh, let, let's amend this to what's your concern level now that they have Muhammad Sanu and did it change at all?
2: Um, well, I still want to see Sanu practice. I'm still, yeah. uh, a little, I'm trying to figure out exactly why things didn't work out with Sanu in, um, in new England. Because he was hurt they have was slow. What's that?
3: He got hurt last year, and then he was slow this year.
2: Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm curious to see how that goes. Um, I'm pretty concerned with the receiving core because I don't know how quickly. Like I I think mid season Trent Taylor is going to be much better than he was Sunday. Um, I think. You know, I'm going to lump Jordan Reed into the receiving core because I think that's basically what he is right now, is an extra receiver um, at tight end. I think he's going to potentially be better midseason if he remains healthy. Um, I think the offense as a whole, if there's one thing that we've learned about the 49ers offense since Kyle Shanahan took over, it's that it's always much better in the second half of the season than the first. That was true in 2017. Um, it was true in 2018 and 2019. So, yeah. I think they're going to be executing at a higher level. I think they're talented. the talent is going to be upgraded eventually if and when um, Debo Samuel comes back, Ayu coming back, Sanu getting comfortable. I think the receiving core is probably going to end up being pretty good if everybody can be healthy and available and start firing on all cylinders. Um, yep. So I also didn't love the game plan. There wasn't, you know, when I talk about flow, um, the the classic outside play action play where Garoppolo takes it and then there's, you know, George Kittle or Kyle Juszczyk or receiver running wide open in the middle of the field the other way, the opposite direction. They ran that's it week float. two,
3: Marquise Goodwin scored a touchdown on it against uh, yeah. the Bengals.
2: Yeah, and, and that's typically something the 49ers run like four times a game and we didn't see it at all. We didn't see Jimmy Garoppolo moved out of the pocket at all, which I thought was weird. We didn't see a lot of pre-snap window dressing, which I think is a product of who's available at receiver. Nobody's really worried if Kendrick Bourne is going in motion for a potential jet sweep at the snap. At least they wouldn't have the same level of concern if that guy were Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel. Um, So there's stuff like that that uh, you don't have when you're missing those guys too, in addition to all the production that they have. Um, So I just thought it was... It was just a very uninspired game plan. And, you know, look, I I know Kyle Shanahan wants to keep things off the the tape for later in the year. He wants to keep everything in his bag for, you know, when it really matters. Um, It was just a very vanilla game plan. And I think it was also impacted pretty heavily by the fact that George Kittle had a knee injury and that the Cardinals were doubling him the entire game because they weren't concerned about any of the receivers. And, um... And ultimately, like, Jimmy Garoppolo had a bad game irrespective of what was happening with the receivers. He just didn't look comfortable. There was no smoothness to his game. Everything seemed like it was a beat-off. Wow, that's a terrible phrase. (laughs) Everything seemed like it was a second off. Yeah, there was no rhythm. There was no flow. Uh, The team that was really good, one of the best teams in the league last year on third down, converted two of 11, which is bad. Um, And a lot of that is because they didn't really have much success on first down. Uh, The 49ers were the best team in the league on first down last year. I think they averaged like eight yards on first down. Um, Certainly wasn't the case on Sunday. So
3: it looked like a preseason game.
2: Yeah, it felt like an outlier game to me. It felt like something that they will correct moving forward. And and I really think like I'll say this now um, and we'll probably I'll probably end up repeating it on all the pods. But like, I don't think you should really worry about this team until October.
3: Yeah, and even unless they I, go
2: on four in September, yeah, or on three, right?
3: What what I equate Sunday to was, you know, when you're walking outside and you think you feel a raindrop, and so you like stop and you put your hand out to see if there's more rain. You put your hand out to see if there's more rain, or you look around to identify for more rain before you run and grab an umbrella. Am I making sense? Yeah. <laughs> Like that's what this is. Like the the there were some signs for sure of something bad to keep an eye on, but it's not like slam on the panic button everything is awful. If it still looks like this like you said, if they go 1 and 3 or 0 oh and 4, then fine. Um but let's let's wait and see what what they look like in, in October before you, we start making sweeping declarations. At least I think that's how this podcast is going to operate
2: yeah um so let's move on to Jimmy Garoppolo because i would that, like to give my most... concern level about the wide receivers first okay Sorry. six okay moving on to Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> can i give a number for receivers i don't think so I'm with you on six i think six yeah. is fair uh
3: and it i i it's more just the fact that they have so many injuries at the position and uh yeah. debo Samuel it it's not like a guarantee he's just gonna come back um i i just They don't need to go make a crazy trade right now, but um, it's definitely worth watching, for sure. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, we touched on it a little bit. I'm actually not as concerned as, as I think a lot of people are. And I say that because we saw him look really bad in his two week one starts prior to this in 2018 and 2019. Yep. And he wound up. At least in 2018, he obviously got hurt, but last year he wound up being pretty good. the The bigger concern for me, so so for this season, it's like a like a two. Like I'm just not. I, I think he's going to be fine this season. The where my issue comes in with Jimmy Garoppolo is, and feel free to to go away from this if you want. But the bigger concern for me with Jimmy Garoppolo is that he doesn't take a step forward this year and maybe last year was his ceiling that would that would be the the bigger issue for me
2: so here's how I look at the the Jimmy Garoppolo thing so like to to your point he was bad in his last two week ones he was bad in Minnesota he completed 45% of his passes (coughs) um, to start 2018 excuse me one touchdown, three picks, in that game, including one that was taken in the house. And game, they lost by eight, by the way, um, which sounds, which doesn't sound like a lot given that context. Uh, Tampa Bay last year, Garoppolo was not very good. Eighteen of twenty-seven coming off the ACL injury. One hundred sixty-six yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, he did. There were a couple uh, touchdown passes negated because of injury. But just overall, rewatching that game at one point during quarantine, I, I did in the spring. Um, he wasn't very good. So, the point being, I don't think I learned anything from Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday that I didn't already know. Um, and I think yes. because of the unique circumstances in this offseason, um, I think it's going to be really tough to play clean football offensively when timing is so important and you have all these new pieces and you're missing your receiving core. And. George Kittle's hurt like the the confluence of factors was was against Jimmy Garoppolo in a perfect storm kind of way on Sunday um that's not to excuse him playing bad like he looked out of rhythm he didn't look like he trusted the interior of the offensive line at all um he doesn't step into his throws with a ton of confidence like you would love to you would like to see him do um like he did like to me the thing that really stands out about Jimmy Garoppolo right now is that he looks entirely different from the 2017 version. When he was light on his feet, way. he was bouncing in. He was just bouncing away from defenders in the pocket. Um, he was really decisive with his throws. He was accurate. He was on time, and and this was all coming to the 49ers. Like after coming to the 49ers in a trade. And now he has all this familiarity and he knows the offense and it just seems disjointed and you don't expect that. And I think that's the most disappointing part about it. But like you said, Jimmy Garoppolo ended up being really good over the second half of the season last year. And I don't see any reason why they can why that can't happen again. And look, as bad as he was week one last year against Tampa, he turned around against the Bengals who were bad. Um, and completed seventeen of twenty-five, two hundred ninety-six yards, three touchdowns, one pick. He averaged almost twelve yards per attempt. Like he was really, really good in Week Two. So we've seen that sort of turn on its head from Garoppolo, right? Like he can turn um, he can turn things around quickly. So maybe something similar like that happens to the Jets, because I do think there's an element in the NFL whenever you're shoveling dirt on a good team. They tend to respond, right? Like, that's just something that happens. What happens in a game is often the exact opposite of what happens in um, in the media or, you know, in narrative creation. Everybody just sort of expected, oh, the Niners are really hungry. They're really pissed off after losing the Super Bowl. They're going to come out and thump the Cardinals. And and I sort of thought they would. I thought they would be able to run the ball better than they did on Sunday. But in terms of Garoppolo, like, I think he's kind of a known quality a known quantity Uh, you want him to get better and look more comfortable. But I do think like it's week one in a in the COVID season. Let's take a step back and wait for the sample size to grow before you really get worried. And let's see what he looks like when the receiving core comes back and when George Kittle is back healthy.
3: Right. He was definitely not good, but I'm not ready to pull the plug on the Jimmy Garoppolo experiment. That's it.
2: No, and also if if you're so eager to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, um let me know what other options are available that you think would keep the 49ers in Super Bowl contention. Yeah, that's because right,
3: that's like just, that's just it.
2: People will point to Aaron Rodgers and be like, "Yeah, well, if Aaron Rodgers is going to play like he did on Sunday for for the Packers, he's there for at least two more seasons. Yeah,
3: they're not trading him."
2: <laughs> <laughs> they're not just going to be like, "Oh, we have Aaron Rodgers playing like Fire-breathing dragon Aaron Rodgers again, and we're we're just gonna give him to to the team that took us out in the NFC title game last year. Like that's that's not gonna happen. That's a pipe dream. Um, you know Tom Brady. Like, did you watch Tom? Anybody who watched Tom Brady on Sunday? Tom Brady
3: would... looked like Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday.
2: Right. So like that's that you know forty-four year old Tom Brady next year. Like, is that something you're really interested in over Garoppolo? I think he's gonna be fine. I think he's gonna be better. Um how much better he gets is, you know, than last year, like the, the, my whole thing with, with Garoppolo. And I wrote a little bit about this for the sack going into the season was the next step for him is not like he needs to be better statistically, or, you know, it, he just needs to be a quarterback that Kyle Shanahan can trust in a big moment, like the playoffs and not say, Hey, we're just going to be, we're just going to run over our opponent with the running game. Because that might work like in one playoffs, but it's not going to work again in these playoffs if the 49ers get there, right? They're not just going to be able to run over teams. I don't think that's going to happen. So they're going to need Garoppolo to be somebody that Shanahan trusts and not somebody who throws a bad interception and then Shanahan just decides, all right, I'm taking it out of his hands. We're going we're gonna to win this game with defense and running the ball because the defense isn't going to be as good this year because Buckner's gone. Um, and I think not that last year was a one-off, but I don't think the 49ers are going to have the best defense in the league this year. And so you need Garoppolo to be better and you need Shanahan to be able to trust him in big spots and not treat him like a game manager. Yep. Um, like which he essentially was in in the playoffs, which worked for the 49ers and he was good in the first three quarters of the Super Bowl. but like you, you need Garoppolo to take that next step and be a trustworthy quarterback.
3: He needs to more, what, what? He is right now is, for every one Saints game, you're gonna get one of these games where he just misses open guys and he makes bad throws, and it just doesn't look good. Doesn't look
2: confident or sure of himself.
3: Yeah, and that's it. You know that it's great when you get a game like he had in New Orleans, but you need those six, seven, eight times a year. And then the the level below that is still really good, not the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Yep. So uh, one silver lining for Garoppolo is that he, outside of the throw to McKinnon that got intercepted where where McKinnon drew the pass interference, Um, there were no really head-scratching bad throws directly at a defender, which it felt like there were multiple of those a game last year. Yep. Um, so he cut down on those, didn't have a turnover, didn't have a giveaway, which is great. Uh, now he just needs to combine that with, um, with the, the stuff you all that all the stuff that you just mentioned. Um, so those are, we're going to go real quick through good and bad. Um, the bad is the three things we just talked about. The receivers weren't good. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't good. And then the defense's last quarter, uh, was not good. I feel like we don't need to expand on that much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the good, though, the defense through the first three quarters, and we talked about that a little bit earlier, but, dude, they'd given up ten points, and yeah. the seven they gave up was when the Cardinals got to start on the 49ers' ten-yard line because of a blocked punt. I, I thought, um, you know, that they, they, they were historically good through the first, like, four or five weeks last year, and I didn't think there was any chance we were going to get that again, but it's still really clear they can be a top eight or ten defense, and if this offense clicks... That's all they need.
2: Totally agree. I think you just need to be top, like, if to be a real, like, Super Bowl contender. If you're top 10 in both offense and defense, which I think the 49ers could and should be, mm-hmm. um, then I contender. think you're a contender.
3: Yeah. Uh, another good thing, Jarek McKinnon played for the first time in 966 days. Uh, Nick Wagner of ESPN tweeted that stat out. I thought that was pretty incredible. Um, Is just he wasn't he wasn't super dominant. But three carries, 24 yards, three catches for 20 yards, and uh, a touchdown. And I think he's going to grow into a larger role.
2: Yeah, I think he's, I think ultimately, um, and Sunday was a little bit weird for Tevin Coleman because of the air quality and him having a pre-existing condition to that, so we only played a handful of snaps, but... Um, I think McKinnon is ultimately going to end up being the number two running back behind Mostert for for most of the season, as long as he's healthy. Right, right. Um, and, and he showed signs that 16 yard run right before the fourth down, like he made a few guys miss. Yeah, um, he's got good speed. He's returning kickoffs. Um, I think McKinnon, you know, just the fact that we talk about the re- the receivers as much as we do, the fact that he's going he's a really good pass catcher and can line up anywhere and run routes and all that. Um, I think ultimately, once he gets more comfortable in that role, too, uh, that's going to be a really nice dynamic for the 49ers offense to have. And, and I'm happy for McKinnon. He's a good dude. Um, fellow French Bulldog owner. So shout out to oh, him for that. Nice. And, um, yeah, happy for him. That's that's not an easy thing to sign a big deal, never play a down on that contract, have it reworked to a one-year deal that's basically the, the league minimum. And uh, and have to go through rehab like he did. Good on him, and uh, and I'm happy for him.
3: One of the things that really stuck out to me, and I don't want to discuss this at length, but <clears throat> you mentioned his ability to run routes. Garoppolo threw to him like in tight windows a couple times. Yeah, it's pretty clear that, that he has a good rapport with with McKinnon, and uh, and trusts him. So, like I said, I expect his role to uh, to grow significantly in the offense. And then Trent Williams was awesome. He was he was I didn't watch him for the entire game, but it felt like every time I looked at him, he was just dominating whatever he was doing
2: that uh the, the tweet, the video that that went around um Sunday and, and Monday of him. Just I think it was Jordan Hicks, poor guy, just out of his break, taking like six steps, getting a full head of steam, like 330 pound Trent Williams, and then just completely dump trucking Jordan Hicks. And he didn't even see him coming was just like, I mean, it felt so bad for him, but it was, it was such a, like, if you love football hits, it was such a beautiful, a beautiful piece of offensive line play in that moment. It was a play, um, I believe it was the first quarter, maybe it was the second quarter when George Kittle had the, um, had the the jet sweep run, (laughs) um, Trent Williams' assignment was just to go find and, and destroy the linebacker, and he absolutely did that. So if you haven't seen that video, go do it because it's – uh it was, go find it. It's, it's hilarious. I think the
3: design is for him to hit the linebacker, like, as the linebacker's moving, but the linebacker hadn't even moved yet. It's it, really, really funny.
2: His eyes were in the backfield, and it was like he didn't even see Trent Williams coming. Like, I can't think of anything worse to happen to you unexpected on a football field than get drilled by Trent Williams with a full head of steam and you not have any idea he's there. Like if that's you, that's like top 2 worst things that could happen to you on a football field I feel like. If
3: you just google like Trent Williams block video, I'm sure it'll come up right yeah. away. Yeah. Um let's let's wrap this up. We are keeping, we decided although he is with the Seahawks now. We are keeping the Demontre Moore Memorial MVP award. Uh, Demontre Moore who was uh, with the 49ers. In camp last year, had a really good preseason and then got cut, and then re-signed to the team after you and I. Uh, I don't want to say made jokes, but basically well, put were it, like, l- put it this: like, he wasn't very he he wasn't he, he wasn't great in his NFL career. And right. it the, was
2: making fun. So the point, the whole point of the Demontre more bit was we were say. making fun of all the people who were apoplectic that he didn't make the team because of what he did in the preseason. Right. Which um, and I think we're, we're like right. Every year. We're right about that because the yeah. 49ers defensive ends, although D Ford was hurt. Um, the 49ers were fine at defensive end, and they didn't necessarily need Demontre Moore. And but... I had to have the conversation with Demontre Moore in person back when uh, reporters used to talk to football players in football locker rooms. <laughs> um, I had a talk with him. I was like, "Look, like we do this bit on the podcast. I'm going to be up front with you. I, you know." And he was totally cool. That really nice guy. So I'm 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 really happy about that. And I I did feel bad because I I'm I'm never. I don't like picking on players who aren't good or at least aren't like impactful players. Like these dudes are dedicating their lives to this sport and right. trying to carve out a career in the NFL. And a lot of them never make it. And a lot of them are just fringe guys. And Demontre Moore certainly qualifies as something like that. And so I'm not trying to like piss on his dream. And uh, they can come off like that with the way we talk about football. Sometimes like, Oh, this dude sucks. Like, well, all right, he's still an NFL player. <laughs> like, right. he's, he's an all-American one of the somewhere. Two hundred best football players in the world, or however. Right, many exactly. So, there is. so you That's have to be bad an incredible. Math
3: f- by me, there's fifty plus on a team in thirty teams. He's one of the two thousand best football players in the world.
2: He's a. You have to be an incredible football player to even sign on with an right. NFL team <laughs> in the so, off season. Put it that way. Is, so
3: the point is, Demontre Moore, great guy. So we kept the
2: MVP. Demontre uh, Moore MVP award.
3: Named after him.
2: I think as uh, long as we have this pod, it'll be the Demontre yeah, Moore Yeah,
3: no, definitely. And so what we were trying to do just then is explain how the meaning has changed. Yes. Um, big Demontre Moore fans on this podcast. This is a big Demontre Moore house. Uh, who was your Demontre Moore Memorial MVP?
2: Um, We should probably ditch Memorial because he's not dead.
3: Great point. Who was your Demontre <laughs> Moore MVP?
2: um i'm gonna go with kyler murray because like he was just to me unstoppable and the niners defense didn't play well i mentioned they didn't contain him well i didn't love the play calling and the blitzing um it didn't work and they didn't execute it well um but man 26 of 40 230 yards a td and an interception that's not like those aren't great numbers but Adding 13 carries, 91 yards, game-high 91 yards, and a touchdown. Um, just an incredibly difficult player to defend when he's moving around like that. And uh, and I think the 49ers will be better when they play in Arizona later in the season. But um, I think it's pretty clear Kyler Murray was the MVP of the game. But you have somebody you can make a very intriguing case for.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the cardinals wide receiver who racked up 151 yards on 14 catches narrowly missed a touchdown
2: 16 targets
3: 16 targets uh the niners defense is really good and they just didn't quite have an answer for him um i i i don't i don't really have a lot to to say about deandre hopkins performance he was awesome and And that's
2: sort of Like, we talk so much about receivers on the show, but that's sort of the difference between having elite dudes who you can just say, Hey, run these really simple routes against a cornerback that you're better than, and we're going to force feed you, and you're going to have 150 yards. Right. Like, the Niners don't have anybody right now, with maybe, maybe with the exception of George Kittle, but even then, he's operating in the middle of the field, and it's much easier to double him and all that. It's, he's not, you can't isolate him outside. I mean, you could, but it, would sort of defeat the purpose of having george kittle um i
3: real quick i want to before we get off deandre hopkins here yeah i would (laughs) did you look up don't don't look it up if you haven't did you look up his pff grade pro football focus
2: no i did not i'm guessing it's good
3: okay so i love pro Football focus uh they're excellent if you don't have a pff account uh i recommend paying for one it's terrific Um, just offhand venture a guess at his grade.
2: Uh, 92. No.
3: 79.5.
2: What? (laughs) Why?
3: Because his (laughs) run blocking grade checked in at a 32.7. So. (laughs) Is his, is
2: is his color still green? So, yeah, yeah. So for reference,
3: PFF has a grading scale. Just if you're not familiar, 60 is average. If you grade out at a 60, you just were the baseline level player. And Anything
2: 90 is elite. Like if you're an I think Trent Williams was like an 88 or a, something yeah, like Trent that. Yeah. Trent
3: Williams is like 88. Uh, yeah. George Kittle last year was like a, the highest graded player in the league, was like a 93 something. Yeah. So, for DeAndre Hopkins to get a 79.5 on a game where he had 14 catches and 151 yards is really funny. Because 79.5 is good, but Good in a way that, like, yeah, that guy had a good game. Not 14 catches, 151 yards, where you're like, holy shit, that guy dominated. So, I just wanted to run that by you. <laughs> Imagine funny. being the guy that was like, yeah, Hopkins is okay. That run blocking, though.
2: What was Murray's grade?
3: Kyler Murray's grade. I don't have it up in front of me. Give me one second. Um, Kyler Murray graded out at a 70.
2: Yeah, trash. Right, um.
3: God, he sucks, dude.
2: <laughs> yeah, PFF's funny like that. Yeah, uh, I love PFF great. too. I love yep. their numbers. I have issues with some of their grading, but everybody does at some point. Right. But
3: let's get out of here. Yep. We got forty-eight minutes into this, and uh, our equipment didn't crap out, and I'm happy about that. So yeah. moving moving forward, we'll record Monday nights, uh, unless it's a Monday night game, and then we'll obviously do Tuesday. Uh, same thing with Thursday. We'll do We'll do Friday.
2: Um, Technology permitting.
3: Yeah, and hopefully we, we've got a fix here that will continue working. Um, and then we'll do another one in the middle of the week. I think we'll record it Thursday, so it'll come out Friday, so make sure to check your feeds for that. Subscribe, rate, and review if you have not. Thank you all for bearing with us, and we will see you next time as we get you ready for the Jets and 49ers. The wait is finally over, football is back, and you might not be at a game this year, 49er fan, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. Boy are they, and boy am I. From game spreads and totals, those are two of my favorites, to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. I am in on the player props. You can customize player props and run parlays. It's incredible. Uh, But if you're new to betting and you just want to do your spreads and totals, that's great too. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Every single day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word B L U E W I R E. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.